I warned you I have sniffles today. But they're actually Wait, not bad right now. No, I think today we're... Aren't you your whole persona is the, the bubble boy in the white uh, turtleneck? And, I know, in this clean room. Life. Uh, like I wear a yeah. buddy suit most of the time. But uh, Kristen was vacuuming yesterday. I think it um, created a cloud of dust that... Yeah. Anyway. It sounds like you need a new vacuum. <clears throat> yeah, probably. Because <laughs> usually a vacuum removes dust. It doesn't add dust. That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> it should be that way. I have vacuums all around me. I feel like I have all these like portable vacuum cleaners. There's one right in front of me right now. Yeah, um, the Dyson? No, I have like um, Wire Cutter's number one recommended. Here's a product recommendation on the podcast. It's the Black & Decker Pivot Lithium. And wire cutter is it number one. one. Of the handheld things, yeah. Or has it stick to the ground. Yeah, I got it for my car, but then somehow, oh. like, well, someone got it for me as a gift, and they ordered two of them, so I have like two actually. But then, so if you want to vacuum the floor, you have to hunch down. Well, I live in a basically a shoebox, so you just have to. I just have to like kind of rotate around while holding the vacuum cleaner. But Kristen does a lot of the vacuuming, actually. Okay. Um, yeah. Because I don't because do a good enough cat, job. It's, you, you do need it. Yeah, with the cat, that's right, you do. Um, cats shed an incredible amount, and I was told that this cat wasn't going to shed. Uh, dog, dogs do too, but uh, I have to say, like, even if, you know, I touch my cat, my my shirt, yeah. like, I never wanted to be one of those people who goes out covered in cat hair, but now I'm like, what am I supposed to do? This stuff's impossible to get yeah. off. Like, yeah. if I used lint rollers, I'd destroy the planet because there's so much. What's wrong with destroying the planet? <clears throat> I know, I know. That's what I keep yeah. thinking. Yeah. <laughs> if if it means I can go out in public without the shame of basically uh, having, like I'm looking at me now, everything's covered in fur. It's disgusting. Maybe you should really go for it and make clothing out of lint rollers and just be like, yeah, I'm, I collect dust. That's my job. Yeah, I exist solely to collect the hair of my pet. Yeah. <laughs> it's Jeremy the lint ball. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like a rubber band ball made of fur. Anyway, um, how are you? I'm good. Yeah. Uh, Christina's out of town. She's in San Francisco for work. Yeah. So you've got your uh, bachelor pad going? Yeah. It's a bit boring, I have to say. You're out in the main but, you're out in the main room though, that's what I noticed. Yeah. So we got Yeah, so the sound might be a little different. You know, your mansion, you know, you can hear the echo of <laughs> your penthouse <laughs> apartment. Yeah, there we yeah. go. <clears throat> but uh, uh yeah, it's fine. I'm trying to make appointments with people, do lunch, and all this. Nice. <clears throat> well, it's funny when you when you say like you know, yeah, it's kind of boring or whatever. I just, I I kind of finished the first leg of a big project, and you know, like right after you finish something, so it was on Friday. The next day, like I didn't sleep well because you know you're like, you know, working up until the event or whatever. And then the next day, the Saturday, I was extremely restless. I was like, why is this day going by so slowly? That was yesterday. Like, hmm. literally, it felt like every minute was painful because, like, I was not used to not working. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, know? yeah, yeah. And uh, I don't know. It's called the workaholic. Is that what it is? Like, like I was like... <laughs> well, we, we talked about this that uh, on our, I think, New Year's Eve... We both did puzzles, and I'm like, that, that's relaxing for workaholics. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, I think you're right. Okay, let's let's color coordinate all the pieces so we can get the job done as quickly as possible. And uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Sometimes I just don't know what to do with myself if I'm not working. And I think you're right. I think it's a, some form of addiction. <laughs> but it's I only yeah. I only get to witness it like 
But I a guess it's better than heroin addiction. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 Um, and then you're doing a bunch of uh, NFT stuff. I've noticed, at least it seems like. Um, I mean, I know that's not new for you, but no. But well, I'm doing a, a drop on Artblocks on Tuesday, mm-hmm. uh, so I'm excited for that. And it, it's only a hundred mints. A lot of the drops on Artblocks are five hundred or a thousand. This this algorithm in particular just was better at a hundred. Mm-hmm. So. I'm hoping it'll go fast and then uh, on to the next one. And then, yeah, I, I'm, I'm preparing a bunch of projects. Uh, and I've just started posting all my sketches on Twitter because I was always like, oh, I shouldn't do that. Then other people can take the idea before I release it. But now I'm just like, okay. Uh, but go. you kind of have a signature style. It'd be pretty hard for someone to... Eh, it's funny. I, I released this piece called Dive on Artblocks and it's all these radial circular gradients. Yeah. In grids. Yeah. And someone on, on Twitter is like, hey, man, I made this work three months ago. And it was a similar work with radial gradients. And I replied, hey, man, I've been doing this for 20 years. And I shared some links of similar works. And then he's like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that reminds me, it almost reminds me of being in like art school. Like, um, you know, when there's that kind of territorial this is my idea. Yeah. No one can touch it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, I, I was using pink colors. You can't use pink colors. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's like my thing. Mm-hmm. I, in, yeah, in video 101, I was the one to use the sepia tone. That's yeah. mine. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, there's like so hey, few variables. Wait a minute. I, I was yeah. the one who uses after. Effects. Yeah, exactly. Um, but uh, how, how were you happy with the result of your performance? Uh, not really. <laughs> but I actually, I, I, it wasn't really, I'm doing things a little bit differently now, like where I'm building things up rather than trying to do one big event. Um, like I'm trying to build these like kind of collaborative community events yeah. that build up over time. So yeah, I, I started like a new cosmetics brand for augmented reality. That's um, the, and I'm working with, with folks um, like over time and growing like the group of people. So I'm, Really, on Friday was just kind of the so kickoff. It's, it's like the Tupperware thing where you just do parties. And oh my God, it's funny you say that because that's actually the uh, conceptual basis for my career. That's the model, <laughs> that's the model yeah. But I mean, one of the the ways to do to do it is like, first of all, like I, I'm at the stage of my career where no one wants to hear anything more from me in particular, but they are interested in sort of some of the intersections of the ideas that I've been working with. Like, but if I made another YouTube video. You know, I know you'd watch it, but not that many people would watch it. Yeah. But if yeah. I make like I'm at that like fifty cent era where some like people will see yeah, it. or I'm like I think I'm at that Snoop Dogg era where I can like do the like, you know, like um, the I can accompany someone else's track, but no one wants to see me in front of the. <laughs> yeah, but you can do a, a talk show with Martha Stewart. Yeah, exactly. I can show up on Ellen DeGeneres, be like, "Hey, check out this kid in Florida. They are amazing. <laughs> We're doing a collab." Um, so I'm doing, yeah, it's a multi-multi collab. Uh, it's like 10 people already, uh, working on it with me. And then, uh, yeah, so the event was mostly just like the team. (laughs) It's like, we only had enough room for just the team working on it. And then we're going to grow it over time. So we have a few more events coming up. As a performer who always played with AR, but in front of a live audience and now doing online performances, which in a way, is a recording, so you might as well do a YouTube, but you do it live. and Yeah, we recorded like it. That, that's, it's still, yeah, yeah, yeah. But how do you feel about this whole shift? And Are you excited about doing uh, IRL events, or it's irrelevant now? Um, 
I, I had originally planned for this to be in real life, to be honest with you, but then Omicron hit. And um, and then I was kind of relieved because I was like, well, this is what I... But where was it supposed to be? It was supposed to be at the Gota Institute here in Toronto. They had like a, oh, yeah. a gallery space. And, and it, it's not allowed now to do such things? Not in Toronto at this moment. Um, yeah. Mind you, they just lifted some restrictions, so I guess it would be possible. But everyone is scared. So all the galleries here anyway, because I have two more events planned. Are people, are people really scared or they're sick of work and they say they're scared? Uh... I mean, I, I'm just talking about like talking to the galleries. Like, I know because uh, we were one of the questions is the bad coworkers and stuff like that. But yeah, I, I have a lot of friends who don't want to do work travel or don't want to go to the office, and and then they they're in an online meeting and like, yeah, I'm so scared. I just want to be safe, and they they don't believe it at all. So th- this whole well, it's kind of actually if you were to think back like five years ago, it'd be like, you know. You, actually you wouldn't know this in a corporate context but people would be like yeah can i like work from home like two days a week would that be okay you'd be like mm, and i don't know like, no. i think it could be really no. bad <laughs> the team might yeah. disintegrate no so i understand i yeah. understand yeah. but it's funny yeah no i just don't feel safe and everybody knows it's it's bullshit but legally you can't honestly i think what it is is i just don't feel like wasting my time like putting effort into yeah, something that might get canceled an- yeah but yeah. that's a more honest answer yeah yeah, yeah. but are you for example you personally would you be uncomfortable going to a live concert with 2,000 people? No, you know, no, yeah, I, I'm, I'm kind of, because I'm triple vaxxed and I'm about to get my fourth vaccine, like, I, I'm not worried about, I've been in public contexts for, you know, at least a year now, I feel like, where you're with people who are vaccinated, I'm not really worried about, it. if they were all unvaccinated, yeah. maybe, but here in Canada, it's like 86% of people or something like that. Yeah. I, I do like the whole wearing masks in the subway and on the train or in an airplane. I, I think I'll keep doing that sure. no matter what. I, I, that that whole circulating air in a small space. You don't mind. I mean, I was on the subway when I was yeah. in New York. There was like no one on the subway. It was glorious. Same thing here. Actually, yeah. it's like you have yeah. a, you you get to sit down. It's such a luxury. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I'm I'm really fascinated if. Uh, the workplace is coming back in any form as a sort of collaborative meeting space or not no, at all? No, it's dead. I told you, I've said this like for, yeah, it's it's never coming back. So I, I find it hard to believe. I still think, uh, I don't know. But, I mean, I've spoken to, to sort of more high up in the ranks people that really want people to come back, but employees are like, I just don't feel safe. I mean, you can't come and back. Can't it's like I can't, I can't force someone who's living in Rome now to come back or something. You know, it doesn't, yeah. doesn't make any sense. No, I understand that. But you could say, okay, we have a team. Some of us are remote. Some of us are two hours away in the suburbs. Yeah, some I've, of us are, I've, are nearby. Yeah, yeah. And then it's time for promotion. And it's like, hey, person X, Y, and Z are always here. Why don't we promote them? Yeah, but no one's there, so it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. What I am seeing yeah. is clustering. So, you know, people from you know there's a bunch of my my team that lives in vancouver and they want to like meet up once a week at like a we work and they're like hey could we make that a thing because we and this goes back to i think i've mentioned when i was my early like in my late teens just before i got into college i was a research assistant on for this like mobile computing study and at the time it was like the 90s so it was called telework yeah and they found you know after 10 years of like various telework experiments, like different companies and telework was just like, you would work from home, but use the phone. It's not that different from what we're doing today. Yeah. But 
no matter how hard, uh, you know, or how far away people were, how hard it was to get together, they would find a way, even if they were not, it wasn't sanctioned, they would find a way to get, meet up at a McDonald's or something at least, you know, yeah, kind yeah, of yeah, once yeah. a month or a couple times a year. Yeah. So people will find each other. I mean, uh, yeah, I've been remote working for 22 years. Or yeah, something. exactly. And uh, I, I think it would be less efficient for me and Rainier to sit together to discuss code. I think it's more efficient to do it together through Dropbox and Discord and et cetera. So, but yeah, I do. I, I'm happy that I was able to do some physical openings in the last two years and uh, see people. And, and do you have some physical openings planned? Is that like a thing? Um, I think I have. A, we're planning a show in Japan in the fall, and I did Canceled. a show there. It's not going to happen. I can tell you that right now. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. it's like so, I'm so like horrible. No, it could happen. The fall seems, yeah. it seems reasonable, right? Like, what is that, six months I don't know. From now? I, I'm just, I'm just, I, I'm sure I speak for a lot of people. I feel like the risk of COVID for me is very low, but I understand that I want to keep the majority safe, but at some point I would like to go to yeah. Japan. I mean, it's that's, annoying. Here in Canada, we have like this trucker. Have you seen this trucker thing that's going on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Trucker convoy. <laughs> yeah, Yesterday yeah, yeah. for like two hours, they were going by my house. Um, like they're literally a convoy that's traveling around the country, yeah. honking their they're horns. They're having a lot of fun, probably. They're horrible. They're like peeing on like like but national monuments fun. and stuff. Yeah, I guess so. Um, they're just, but they're kind of fed up. But why they're are so they con- upset? Because the, the truck. They're confused. Really... They're confused. They just don't know what's going on. I think we've reached that but point. But aren't the that that spe- uh, specific profession hasn't really been affected by COVID? Or? Yeah, because they're sanctioned, they're they're required to get vaccinated, and that was the last straw. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You can't drive. I can't drive my truck without being vaccinated. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, it's required in the U.S. too, so it's just like to get back and forth across the border or something like that. But not all of them cross the border. Anyway, it's lame. Um, but you know, it's kind of quote unquote the freedom convoy or something. They're, you know, and yeah. I, I think it's like okay, like. Um, it's funny to me how the the tribes pick sides on issues, and so yeah, I could see an alternate reality where conservatives are super scared of COVID and never go out the door, and liberals are like, "Oh, let nature heal us, we're fine." I, I could see the issue going to the other camp easily. So it's it's funny. Sure. Yeah. I, I guess so. The conspiracy could just be like you should use crystals to center your energy or something like that. Well, there there is a there is a a school of thought of the sort of yoga holistic thing where it's like mm-hmm. too much vaccination uh, hurts your natural immunity and if you exercise and eat well you should be fine and that's better in the long term and yeah and that's that's hard to argue because it's such a complex thing to measure so it's kind of an instinctive thing but there is a camp of yoga wellness that is not so excited about vaccine subscriptions i don't know i mean like this there were, this week there was the joe rogan thing as well like your buddy Joe? He's not my buddy. I, I've never <laughs> listened to the Joe. <laughs> but he's like the number one podcast, right? And, you know, yeah. uh, folks were pulling well, their music off Spotify. He has something we don't. Yeah, he's giving out bad okay. vax advice. Yeah, yeah, but, but there's something about his style of conversation that appeals to more people than us. Well, we don't have any celebrity guests. If we ha- no. drop a celebrity but, guest in here. I know, but even if we did. I, we're just waiting I mean, long yeah. enough for you to be a celebrity. And so it's coming up. It's coming okay. up. Yeah. So did we actually have any questions? We do. 
And you know what's amazing about that is we we asked and then pe- and then we and then we got some amazing questions coming in. So thank asked you. Asked so they so they appeared. Yeah. yeah. Um, so what we have, you wanted to answer a few questions today because we got more than one. Yeah. So we can start with Linda Lowe. She sent. I'm going to read it a little bit, but um, Linda also sent in a recording. Yeah. Oh, so we're gonna we're gonna throw in the recording here. Yeah. But it, the the question is really long, so I'm not going to throw in the recording because it's okay. Because just there's, multi- it. there's multiple questions, and we're going to do a bunch of questions of different people. So, are there any artists out there who don't think about sales? Can artists still work like that without being labeled privileged? Mm. Is work with sales in mind the best work? How do we disentangle good art from what sells? Yeah, and then Linda was also very nice to say like she liked my NFT even though it didn't sell. Which- <laughs> I was like, yeah, it's a good example. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Yeah. yeah. Well, I I think in music, it's really common for music snobs to love stuff that nobody cares about. That's actually a point of pride. Mm. Oh, this is so underground. Nobody knows it. Look at this uh, band camp. They only have three followers. This is the the good shit. And like, I I feel like in music, it's actually for a lot of people, it's a turnoff if something becomes too mainstream. Yeah, but that doesn't mean it doesn't sell. Like, <clears throat> those musicians are probably selling some merch and like a few albums here and there, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what I'm saying is people listen to music without... I think with art, it's much more like, oh, I like it. How much is it worth? Mm-hmm. And I don't think you listen to a song and like, oh, how high is it in the charts? You just love the song. Yeah. I mean, the thing is very early in my career, like the, the where we should start is like, if you went to art school, you were probably discouraged from selling. Like there's no, there's very little education around the sales side of, of work prior and to you yeah, graduating and, from and, school. And then the big conundrum of art education is that there is no scientific definition of what is good art. So it, it cannot be measured. Then it's everything's subjective. Mm-hmm. We we pretend sometimes that there's a universal uh, well, so, rule of what is good art, but nobody really. Some knows. people argue actually the schools are kind of embedded in that whole you know, kind of system. Yeah, exactly. So like, I remember being in school, talking to teachers about my heroes. And I was like, well, I really like Warhol. And they're like, oh, okay. And then I said, oh, I really like Dali. And they're like, oh, no, 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 no. That's not allowed. <laughs> that, and I'm yeah. like, are you a stoner? Are you? Is that what, what are you ask? talking about? What? <laughs> you're like, you're, that's only for the stoner kids. It's not for you. Yeah, yeah. something. But, and, and then you just get into these weird discussions why Joseph Boyce is a better artist than mm. Salvador Dali. And, uh, it, that's really well because he uh, hammered things into his canvases, like you know, he put a rabbit uh, carcass on yeah. his canvas. So yeah, or because <laughs> he was more serious. But I don't know. But yeah. it's so the uh, the question like money is uh, measurable. So I think that's why people are very comfortable with it, saying like, oh, this is good, this is bad, because look at the price. Well, there. what's kind of interesting is like for a long time, um, it kind of all made sense. And so it was like, I don't actually blame the art teacher in that context for like kind of promoting the thing that allowed everyone to feel safe. Like there was this like trajectory of experimentation yeah. and the avant-garde. I, I always think like the, the, the t- maybe similar to when you were in art school, it was just, if anything, if it looked like Bruce Nauman's work or Joseph yeah, Boyce's like, work, it looked like art. Here's your scholarship. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that looks like art. Yeah. And so yeah. I, I, and I, I definitely benefited from that personally. Um, and I, and I was part of a kind of a, 
a, like a, I created a collective that, and we were all kind of snobby, I remember. And we were, even in art school, we were like, and we were talking about selling work at that time too. And we were, because it was the, you know, video art was becoming this like thing. Everyone wanted to talk about how it was the next kind of photography, the next saleable thing. And so I did a lot of shows in my early 20s where I did sell these weird objects and, you know, and videos and things like that. Actually, that was the most financially successful period of my entire career. Um, and at the same time, I was like uncovering this history of Fluxus um, and, re- and then sort of struggling with the contradictions. And maybe a lot of our listeners struggled with this. I have a feeling you didn't, but I was like, why should I be making art for people to buy? What, wh- where is this coming from? Like, why is that even the conceptual... Um, interest. Why am I conceptually interested? But, in but that? it never entered your brain that you needed the money to be a full time artist. Mm, I mean, no. Like, well, first of all, like I was told in art school, like a lot of folks, like it's going to be near impossible for you to make money unless you become a teacher. <laughs> They're but, like, yeah, you can yeah, become yeah, yeah. me. You know, that's the well, only then way. Well, basically, basically, that is marketing for the institutions. Like, oh, you're doing undergrad. Why don't you do grad school? And yeah, pay another yeah, hundred twenty thousand, yeah. and then you get my job. You can become a teacher. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because the market is dirty and it will stain your soul and blah. Yeah, you could also be my but, assistant. I was an assistant to, me, to an artist. Yeah, to me, there's a there's a deeper question here mm-hmm. that no matter what economic uh, system you work with, there's something outside of us. That, outside of that, the is a sort of atheist spiritual aspect of the arts, and it's there's a higher thing that goes beyond your death. It goes beyond taste like it's not about pretty or ugly and there's something that it's like a collective hallucination and we're like good art and this is this this weird thing of good art and it's it's a higher thing and it's personal and you can argue about it and but then the you're like it's supposed to not be tied to money or academic institutions so no matter what label we find to uh, value art or to measure it Mm -hmm. It's never truly true because there's this utopian ideal of of the higher thing that will create a higher sense of living and being and thinking mm-hmm. and uh, yeah. But at some point, like Sotheby's comes in and says, like, yeah, but we all know that's bullshit. They also sell champagne bottles and and Ferraris. Well, I don't like, know if the public do understands that. that that it's bullshit. Right? No, no, no. Yeah. But but she's an artist, so yeah. it, it, we're talking from the artist point of view, not from the general public. Okay, so right. we're talking about like, okay, I'm. I'm okay at not selling. I'm okay at not being an art form. I'm okay. I'm not teaching at Yale. Like none of those labels matter. Mm-hmm. And so, how do you know you're on a good path? That, I mean, that, that list of things could all be mutually exclusive. You could have, you could have gone to Yale and not sell. You know, you could be an art yeah, form. Yeah, and yeah. Not sell. You could have all. Mm-hmm. You could have the money and the museums and the academics. Or you can have none of them, and you could still be a good artist. Yeah, like I've talked about, I think on the very early version of our podcast, talking to someone who was, had a Guggenheim show, you know, they were, but they had to pay for the installation themselves. You know, it's like... Um, Is that shocking to you? Well, like, they didn't sell it. They weren't a saleable artist, right? No, I understand, but they, do, do you think museums... No, it was money? shocking to me as a young artist to find out that, oh, okay. like, you yeah. can have a museum exhibitions, the bill is on you... <laughs> And then, then there's and there's no financial out. Originally, the whole. But you're talking about money again. She's asking. Okay. How do how do we how do you as an artist know you're, that you're doing okay without any? Money? Oh, I see. So what are the signals then? 
Yeah, and that's the, the very, very abstract. And I think that's why people cling to things like NFTs or museum shows. Well, we've talked about like sometimes it's in the modern era, it's been like Instagram likes, you know. Um, but you're going again away from the abstract, like from the, the I'm talking about the core core, the art. I'm not saying these are good things. Stuff. I'm just saying these are the things that quantify I know, value. But she's asking how do you, how do you, how do we escape that? No, like you're making stuff. Mm hmm. And you don't want to do it for the likes. You don't want to do it for the Guggenheim Fellowship. Sure. So what are you doing it for? And how do you know you're doing okay? I think that's the question. No, no, no that's a good question. It? And I'm just trying to like draw the boundaries of that question. Because, you know, do you do it? Like we've talked about it many, many times, like in terms of just like feeling like you're not compromising for yourself, right? Like mastering woodworking. And, you know, you can tell the rough surface from the smooth surface. And over time... You know, look at all my surfaces. They're so smooth. You know, even the part you can't see is like perfect. Yeah. And so there's that craft element and there's craft concept as well. And I think that is something that I would bring up for me personally is more important than financial remuneration, which is like, how well did I solve the puzzle? And yeah. only I know like the actual puzzle usually like, and I, do, I would never imagine my audience you know, to like understand the complexity of the puzzle. And that's not because I don't respect my audience at all. It's just because it's like extremely boring, but I'm really yeah. interested in like the finer details. Right. And th there's the, the idea of uh, invention or, or approaching the medium in a new way or mm. approaching, uh, continuing on a certain conversation. So I think for a lot of people, that's what they call discourse. Yeah. So it's like, Oh, well, People used to paint realistically, and then they started to paint more skewed sure. and more rough, and etc. And so, once you go down a branch of the tree, and you're like, "Oh, how, can I go further on the tree that other people have gone?" That that's one way of measuring, but that seems a bit outdated. Discourse? No, I mean, I've, I've, no. for me personally, like right now, the project I'm working on is entirely built on the the concept of discourse, and that. Um, I'm researching and I, I don't know what I'm going to find. If I try and find it alone, it won't be as interesting as I, f I yeah. find it, you know, with a group of people. So, and because I can't, there are some things you cannot find alone. Um, so for me anyway, I guess in that respect, discourse or community and relationship, which well, you're, is, is, is you're is very vital. interested in institutional critique. So then you see what has happened in the last 30 years. Oh my God. What can I do with the new distributions and, how can I critique them? Yeah, come on, institutions! Like it's over. <laughs> it's game. It's game. Over. Uh, no, I mean, I mean, I also do work with institutions, but institutions are troubled personally. Like they're all like, we don't know what's going on. It's it, it's kind of funny because institutional critique is kind of um, premised on the fact that institutions are powerful, and when they're not, it's, I know they're like that, that genre is like. It's like you're bullying someone who's in the hospital. <laughs> I feel like at this point, the institution's like, why don't you just tell me what I am? <laughs> um, yeah. It's a weird time yeah. for institutions. But the, but the, yeah, like the institution is on life support and the and institutional critique is like, ha <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, yeah, definitely we're in like the deconstructivist era or like maybe these things are cyclical, right? Where everything, like the Lego blocks are all back on the table. Yeah, you know, the castle, you know, you got the Lego castle, you followed the instructions, you built it up, but then a child came along and knocked it over. Um, and so we're rebuilding. And I think we're rebuilding in important ways, right? Because we're rebuilding post-colonially, right? So like 
remember a lot of the histories that were deconstructed or demolished. I, I think you still think when you use those words, yeah. you're still thinking in the old way. Damn it. When you say rebuilding, <laughs> because when you're rebuilding, right, completely like out of the point. So here's the interesting thing to me about discourse. Like discourse requires you to know the previous steps. That's the whole I mean, you're thinking idea. in a kind of a term, like a linear progress terms, and so yeah, am I. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what I'm saying is, if you include other people that traditionally weren't interested in the art world, yeah. and that could be other people of color, but it could also be uh, game nerds and whatever, and they all come from very different places. So for a gamer, like all the references might be the history of gaming. That's such a different discourse. And for a, a political artist of different... Uh, part of the world, like not from a, mm. not from New York, but let's say from a small town in South America. Their references are so different. So then, all all our tradition of measuring art, of saying like, yeah, but Joseph Beuys already did it, or Sola Witt already yeah, did yeah, it. Yeah. And once those once those arguments fall down, but you can't use the market argument either. You're going in very psychedelic, spaced out territory, which anything goes. There's no right or wrong. The, the audiences are fractured, so you can't say like there's one critic who... So yeah. it's an interesting question if, if you say, okay, we used to have five discourses and now we have five million discourses and there are no lines whatsoever. But didn't that, isn't that kind of like what already happened? You know, like if you were to retrace... Yeah. Like post-patron yeah. art, which I don't know if there is such a thing actually, but like let's say like you're Duchamp and it's 19, you know... 1930 or something yeah which is all the, it was very tied to who has access to the big white room mm -hmm. but like you're Cause, you're, cause you're, the you're walking into it's not interesting unless it's in the big white but you're room. walking into the art fair with a you know coat hanger and saying hey this is art it's a ready-made right and yeah. people are like whoa 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 this uh breaks all the rules did you even make that where'd you find <laughs> it what does this mean like yeah. um is that any different i mean i think no but what i'm saying is back then there was like 12 people in the art world and they all went whoa 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 but now if you make an nft of a coat hanger people would be like oh yeah whatever my cousin made a sock and my <laughs> other nephew made a table and i don't know cares. that's that reminds me of like every um you know every kind of year during the 90s or the 2000s would be like you know the local zoo animal paints picasso style painting or whatever right sells yeah, at auction now, for two million dollars exactly yeah yeah um, but now like if you see uh, if if the market is any indication of what will be shown in museums later, then uh, we're in for a treat. Okay, yeah. So like doubling back, you're saying like if you only went based on market value, um, there would be the the pyramid it, it, looks well, very different. Maybe Beeple is a good example because everyone from the art world traditionally would like if you saw that printed in a newspaper as a weekly cartoon yeah. you'd be like okay that's a good cartoon it's fine but you wouldn't ever think of it as art and just because it made money all of a sudden the art world is confronted with I it. think like, oh. you know what I think we could probably say safely at this point though is that there is not one art world there are many no. art worlds yeah 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 but what I mean is to to this question if you like want to disentangle creativity from the market mm -hmm. and know whether you're doing good or bad I I just think the only true thing you can follow is just do what you feel like because anything else will drive you crazy. Mm -hmm. I still do love the Fluxus moment, though, where, you know, the manifesto, the Fluxus manifesto is like enough of this, like, 
art for the bourgeoisie. Art is not made for the sale. Art is not, you know, and they were they were reacting against this idea that the gallery system had basically tied up everything that was possible. Like everything you could make, you know, was now dictated by saleable terms. And that was in the 1960s, right? So it's like, you know, a good half century ago. And now we're in the same conversation. It's ridiculous, right? It's like, oh, God, those NFT sellers no, are no, telling no. us it's what to different. make. It's different. Mm. The distribution is so different. Like, it, Well, there are, there are more players or there's a broader, there's a broader, I don't know if there are really. There's like I 10 really NFT think, platforms. I, I really think back in the 70s, there was like 12 people interested in art. Um, Maybe 1,200. No, I mean, there are like arts it, and letters so clubs tiny. in every city and like, you know, like people... Have you like if you go to any museum in any American city? Actually, th- what's amazing? I think there were very, there were like ten times less institutions and museums than now. But there are all these yeah. little, there are these like little clubs and little like kind of movements and you know people coming together. Like the, the concept of a salon is even for it goes even I further know. back. I, I, the idea I, of sharing I, ideas. I think we're going to a knowledge economy. I think you're underestimating how that idea of. Being a creative professional, like I don't think it was that normal in the fifties to, to say that. I th- yeah, I think what you're saying is there was like a we're larger working from an class agrarian population society to to an information society. You know, agrarian, industrial, and then information based. And because things are information based, the creativity has so much value. <sighs> I don't know, like maybe this is like a very Western point of view because, like, my grandfather was Ukrainian. Um, and if you and also like if you visited like Eastern Europe or Russia, the people there will be like you know, everyone, even your taxi cab driver, has like an opinion about the opera or whatever. Like, so certain cultures have always been mm. artistically invested, yeah, 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 and invested in the arts and are very proud of that. Um, and even though my grandfather was a well digger, he, it wasn't by choice. And it and it didn't exclude him from having conversations about art and culture. In fact, he he enjoyed doing that. So, I think I'm I'm cautioning just like the classist kind of Western point of view on this. And it comes back to your original point, which is that there were, if we only consider one project or one trajectory, one his, you know one historical line, we're missing yeah. out on like so yeah, yeah, much yeah. of uh, of how how the world understands that, yeah. value and creativity. But so I think back to the question of Linda. Um, mm-hmm. So people ask, do you sell? Do you do paintings, etc.? And you're doing different stuff. Yeah, it's a confidence issue as well that you're like, okay, it's not selling right now, but it might in the future. And it's not even. I think that's question. a good point. And actually, when I was at FreshBooks, I, I made this point quite often. It has nothing to do with art. It actually has to do just with self-worth and how yeah, we yeah. how we as human beings are like, brought up to consider our value um, and our potential. And quite often it's tied to our income tax return. And uh, in the case of like a freelancer, what we always found at FreshBooks is they, cause they would share, you know, freelance. I talked to thousands of, of freelancers, some of them designers, some of them like dog walkers, but basically their self-worth was tied up in their clients. Um, basically, uh, review of their performance of their work, right? Like, did I do a good job for my client? Yes or no. And the way that self-worth was indicated was not with like an Airbnb five-star review. It was with like, 
repeat business. And if I could like build that relationship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But she, the question is about seeing it separate from money and separate from. No, money. I know. But what I'm saying is it's very hard. And I think you're making the point too. It's very hard for people to separate those things because they're the, they're the signals that I am doing something of worth to someone else. It's like, well, it's a store yeah, of value. It's, also the, it's the only aspect of art that can really be measured. So our brain tends to like things that are measured and can neatly be fit into categories like, this is low price, this is medium price, this is high price. You know what I'm finding really disgusting right now, though? Like, not in this conversation. In some of the coverage yeah. I'm seeing online, like I was watching, like, some Verge video on NFTs this week, and, you know, at one point they're like, did you like any of the NFTs? And the, and the guy was like, not any of the art stuff. <laughs> and he's like, but I think there's some interesting stuff happening with the NBA or whatever. Yeah. And, and, and then they started saying, like, because, you know, none of this art stuff uh, has any use value. And they were using the term use value, which, you know, like as a good Marxist or whatever, I was like, this is ridiculous. They're so they're so embedded in the capital argument for value yeah, yeah. that they can't even see that the thing created has not, you know, regardless yeah, yeah, of yeah, the yeah, price yeah. tag, has value, has well, cultural that's value. The, that's that's the same argument of the the supermarket versus the old time grocery store where they have to pick out everything for you and cut the piece of cheese and cut the piece of ham and go in the back to find the uh, the mozzarella and the bread. Yeah, sure. And it takes a long time. Mm, mozzarella. To, like the, the, there's a there's an old school uh, cheese and ham store in Little Italy that I go to every week and it takes 45 minutes to an hour to get a bag of groceries there cuz you try stuff, you talk to them, etc. And of course Amazon delivery is better, but the taste is just and that's the thing that that thing that can't be measured and that's the you're like wow this tastes so much better that's the thing for me yeah it's like love or something right or care or like when, yeah. when i say culture too i think the thing that people might not see if they're not participating which is why i always encourage participation and i know our listeners do participate so this is for like the outsider it's that you don't you don't see all of the social sparks the connections the ideas that are flowing like if you just hang out on twitter nfts it's not all just people talking about price they're like i found this person really interesting i thought their work was really inspiring for sure yeah 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 Yeah. and and i i think the human mind is complex so like nft hype happened because of money but it did make people look more intently at certain types of work and understand coding better well even if you pulled it out of the art world and you were like okay let's look at some other places where value wasn't necessarily guaranteed but where people got together anyway to participate like graffiti that's one but like in the 1960s it was technology and it was like telecommunications and like you know bell labs and laboratories built on you know like the people that built the internet weren't doing it necessarily because they were looking for a stock market return they, but, you know, they're interested in the ideas. Graffiti is a good example sure. where it started as sort of vandalism and territory marking. Maybe I'm right, not right. I'm not an expert, but anyway, you get the point. Everybody's doing it for fun. No, I mean it, it's a it is a social class, uh, like kind of. No, no, no. Art but form. there was no there was no sales model. So then they're like, oh fuck, we want to sell some of these. We're pretty skilled at these compositions let's paint them on canvas and they're not as exciting. And people are like, yeah, it's pretty cool. <laughs> well, because the original intent of graffiti, I think, and our listeners can correct us on this. I'm sure there's like some really good graffiti uh, yeah. historians in our, in our audience, but like 
originally, like, we're surrounded by billboards, we're living in cities, it seems like everything is talking down to us or telling us to consume. Where's I my brand? Over- Where's my personal it, brand? It, no, 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 no. I, I know from friends who do graffiti, it's also about being 14 and being angry and yeah, but that's, fun that's, and getting drunk. That's powerlessness versus power. No, right? but I think later on, like, people will say, like, oh, this is a critique of consumerism because we feel trapped in the urban jungle, blah, blah, blah. But You it, don't have to have a concept to have a reaction no, like, or a feeling yeah. or emotion. But, but my point now is that it all morphed into street art, which is now probably making more money than anything else. And it did lose some of its charm or its radicality. Uh, and so that's a perfect example where money kind of messed it up. You think like, you know, when as soon as like people were like taking dismantling Banksy's and putting them, you know, t- brick by brick. No, no, no. I'm, I'm not even talking. I'm talking more about Futura and Lee oh, and Dondi, like people from the 70s who started painting on canvases. And it's not as exciting. And then, you know, it's interesting Banksy's about the canvas, like though. It's 15th generation offshoot. But it, it's an example. But there are other examples where things start out underground and they get better by getting more commercial. So it's, 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 not well, the canvas is the gif of the 19th century or the 20th century. Like it, it was the whole concept of the canvas was it was portable, right? It was compact. Yeah, you could yeah. send it anywhere in the world for a very low cost it without up. it dam- getting damaged. Yeah. You could roll it up and you put it under your, you know, under your arm. Yeah. That's the whole point of it. No. Um, but anyways, I, I think it, it's very simple also to say, Oh, if it sells, it's not as radical as something that doesn't sell. It, it's just, it's everything happens at the same time. There's really good commercial stuff. There's really bad commercial stuff. There's really good underground stuff. There's really bad underground stuff. And yeah, yeah. But it, it, I think I guess that the end point is I think that something we both talk about often is like sort of coming to terms with the idea that. You have a right to make stuff, yeah. no matter what, if the world is waiting for it. Have you watched that show on HBO yet that I recommended to you, the John Wilson, like How To with John Wilson? I didn't like it. I tried it. There's an episode on wine <laughs> oh, okay. and like how to choose a wine. I think you would like that episode. And he ends up like stumbling across like a, you know, like a high energy flavored vodka drink instead. Of that. <laughs> He's like, it's so easy. It's just like... Yeah, yeah, strawberries yeah. and cream and, t- you know, tangerine lime. And, like, I found myself enjoying these flavors without worrying whether other people like them or not. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I yeah, didn't yeah, have to yeah. think about it. But I think often, like, the art world is, is you know, gets compared to, like, the wine world or any of these snobby, snooty kind of in-clubs that are built on virtue signaling and gatekeeping, right? So it's like there's a certain language, yeah. you know, and a lot of the language is invented, um, and it's invented to, to, you know, to understand whether people are in or out. And then that's when things get uncomfortable. I mean, I think, but yeah, sorry. One of the things that, um, in when I had conversations about my world in Outworld Classic, mm-hmm. uh, let's say, the pre-NFT stuff, it was often about... Outworld Classic. <laughs> yeah, like the, the legacy V1. You're like yeah. you're like uh, Web 2.0 yeah. versus 3.0. With cu- with curators, it, most of the writing and most of it is about the medium and not about my my work specifically. But like, oh, this is the internet. And now that the NFT happened, like with the NFT collectors, you don't really talk about the medium because you're already in it. Mm-hmm. And then they're more looking at the work. And so it, it, there's this preconceived notion that the crypto bros are dumb. They only look at it as poker chips. They don't look at the work. But the ones I've met, they actually really do look at the work intently and closely, and they understand the material quite well. So there's this prejudice that 
crypto bros don't understand art. Well, does it, and, I mean, question, and, does it matter who buys your work like to you? No, no, no. But what I'm saying is very often artists think of finance as something that um, removes something and that people don't look at the work anymore and it just becomes about monetary value. And then you find that not things are not so clear. It's like, there's there's good commercial art, there's bad commercial art, there's good underground art, and there's like we'll share some good uh, rich yeah. collectors and there's bad rich and it's just I'll share something very sad though, which is like because I've worked in Uh-oh. finance um, for my entire career, <laughs> um, but in and what I've learned more recently working in finance, um, at, like where I'm literally you know the product I create is to create give people money, what they need money for is attention for advertising mostly. And the difference between whether they can make money or not is if they have if they can borrow money to advertise, which is kind of crazy, right? When you think about it, because it doesn't matter how good their product the product is, it's whether or not it has attention. But what about Tesla? What about them? They have a huge advertising um, function called Elon Musk, who's basically yeah, exactly. constantly, yeah. you know, on Twitter, just hyping shocking things up. Yeah, shocking people. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's a classic. That's a classic challenger brand strategy, by the way. Yeah, we don't yeah, spend yeah, our money on advertising because we want it, We care about our products, and then the yeah. you know the CEO is constantly advertising. Yeah, I, I, the intention of this episode was to do a bunch of questions. <laughs> okay, what's minutes, the next question? We're already forty minutes in, so I, I think we're gonna just okay. Stick Jeremy to this ruined question. it. But I ruined it again. Did I did I ever tell the story of Hokusai and the Mount Fuji? Tell it again. Tell it again. Money? I can't remember. Well, Hokusai is a, I think the most famous uh, Japanese printmaker, uh, woodblock prints, and you you've seen his work, The Great Wave. It's, it's one yeah, of those of course. works. Yeah, and all the Mount Fuji. And so he was an extremely prolific worker his whole life under different pseudonyms and it just made a ton of work. And he was getting to retirement age and he's like, I'm tired. He saved up all this money. I want to retire. The story goes that his cousin or his nephew then took his retirement money, which was probably a physical bag of gold or whatever, and gambled it away. And he just didn't have any money for retirement. It's like, oh, damn. So he goes to his publisher and he says, I need to make money as fast as possible. Mm. And they're like, well, let's do 36 views of Mount Fuji. Everybody loves Mount Fuji. It's like, okay, let's make something that everybody will love. Mm -hmm. We'll sell it at a low price. It was just his most commercial effort of his whole life. And it became the most iconic uh, image of Asian art history. Everybody knows it. Uh, It's his best work. And it was made for the worst reasons so you just (laughs) never know you never know what you know like everything's very complex like commercial reasons can be good personal reasons you just never know i do agree with that which is that like if you try and time the market basically that's what you're you know that's another way of thinking about it you're not you know 99.9 percent of the time you're going to be wrong even the experts can't figure it out um which seemingly at this point in our careers, we should be somewhat expert, right? But like, I feel like we get more confused each year. Um, and even when every time I ask you for advice, because you've done quite well, you're like, I don't know, you know, like, and likewise, I think I, there hasn't been a single year in my art career where things have gone predictably the way I thought they would. Mm-hmm. And um, but but then the, the the question of like, if nobody's liking it on Instagram and nobody's buying it and nobody cares, is yeah. retweeting it, who cares? Why should I still make it? Yeah, yeah that's why you got to believe in yourself. I mean, in those moments, I was thinking that this morning. Was, and it's also like, yeah, 
what do I want to do today? Yeah. Yeah, well, that's exactly that's it. I was sitting on the toilet this morning. I was thinking like, hmm, you know, reflecting. <laughs> you were sitting on the toilet. I'm going to create a beautiful. <laughs> I was like, exactly. It's like, I have a moment here to reflect. Like, why am I doing this? And I was like, you know what? It doesn't yeah. matter because you have to believe in the staircase, right? Like, I think you have to believe that the next step is a step up in, or it could be a step sideways, but like ultimately that it's going to lead somewhere, right? What is that term like, that, that saying, like, believe in the process, but more like, it. Do, who cares? Like, after you're dead anyway, right? If you weren't do, spending your time doing what you love, it doesn't really matter. Like, Yeah, and maybe also just uh, strongly believe that uh, it can't be measured, so don't worry about whether it's good or bad. And the other thing I always think about in these situations is, like, this flow kind of thing among creative people, especially when I talk to designers, and the, the ultimate state, like if you talk, like it makes me think of the movie The Social Network, and then they have the I know, sort of I know, energetic music and he's coding. Well, this is full circle on your spiritual it. thing, but like when you talk to designers and you talk to them about Nirvana and like their best, because they they've got their seventy thousand dollars or whatever, like one hundred fifty thousand dollars to be happy, and so then you're like, so they've got money, right? And then, but they're sometimes you'll meet a miserable designer making just as much as a happy designer, and you'll you'll talk to them. About, I've never met a happy designer. I, I've met a lot of happy designers, maybe because I've helped okay. make them happy. <laughs> Hashtag come work for me. I'm hiring. Um, but in in those situations, what I found the difference tends to be is like, do they have space to get the what they describe in flow? So like, do they have? And they're so excited and happy if they're given a three hour block of time. I know. To create. It's so weird. It's like, let's hire designers and then let's put them in meetings. Right <laughs> I know, I know. It's like you're, you're handcuffing them for most well, of their I life. That's what I mean. Like, I never meet happy designers because they're all just stuck in meetings all day. They're not allowed to design anything. Well, no, of course. But if you've got a design manager that, you know, I've definitely, I've had to focus on. I guess that's another episode. Yeah, yeah. It's a cl- cliffhanger. We, we definitely have to discuss design management. <laughs> design management. <laughs> um, yeah, that manager should be working to get those folks into their best their best spot but like that best spot for them has nothing to do with money you know what you can design you can design your calendar because you're going to be in meetings all day (laughs) um yeah like but think of worlds where the compensation aspect is taken care of like if you were making art like i said earlier maybe like in uh cuba or russia or something like that the state would have been like let's say or let's say norway so it's not political the state's like taking taken responsibility for your you know you yeah you can stipend you, in, in norway but th- that's another economic system because then there's a committee and who gets the grant you know not everybody so uh, then you might change your way of working to appeal to what you think is expected mm-hmm. oh right like you're gonna like uh, make yeah like, it's like oh they don't want to see market work they want to see me do critical institutional uh radical performance stuff even though i love to paint but i'm going to do the performance stuff so i can get the lifetime grant. well it does remind me like i did this um in in both the ukraine and in norway i did work where like the local public like completely rejected it. Like, where they're just like why are you bringing this, this like capitalist shit? nonsense to- <laughs> exactly. yeah. Yeah. Um, like it was almost like yeah exactly like i i'd farted in front of them or something like that. <laughs> um so should we wrap this up? Well, how do we how do we wrap up something that's a, a, like an ongoing story? Yeah, it never really well, we, ends. We can wrap it up. Uh, Linda made a field recording, so. Oh yeah, what's the field recording of? It's a laptop noise Ooh. because she's working too hard, and Unreal is 
crushing a computer. Oh, Unreal. Unreal Engine 5 is like... Yeah. Have you tried MetaHumans, by the way? It's a side note. No, what's that? Okay, it's a web app, so almost anyone can try it if you get Unreal 5. Some For some reason, I think you have to... So if you have the Epic Games launcher... I think you have to launch it from there or have a, a sign in. I'm always interested in making the computer do less. Okay, but imagine like it, there was a painting application, but you could only paint humans. That's like awesome. metahuman. Like okay. it's the most customizable, like kind of 3D. I've done a lot of 3D human research, <laughs> like over the last yeah, yeah, yeah. over the last few uh, years, and it's really fun. Uh, if if yeah. you ever play a video game, because I know you don't play video games, but if you did, I feel like you would get stuck at the screen where you have to customize your avatar. Yeah, <laughs> you'd be like, why would I ever go beyond this? I mean, I know a lot yeah, of us fun. are like that. That's metahuman. Anyway, sorry, I know that's a side note, but we should talk about metahumans yeah. at some point because um, it's well, yeah, our future. I, I just want to wrap this up because I have to do a bunch of stuff but uh, oh i see i see we've got a busy day i think f- we're at 52 minutes so. <laughs> we normally give yeah. one full hour of content but today sorry linda, sorry, linda. well no thank linda you sent linda. us some recordings before that we had not used yet because they weren't a direct question yeah but so this week linda thank you for your question and we'll listen to your computer getting tired of unreal mm. thank you thanks for listening thanks for thank sharing you. a question thanks for the field Bye-bye. recording bye